0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, this season of celebration, for the opportunity to gather here and worship you. And Lord, as we continue in this time of worship, open our hearts and minds to hear and experience the things that you have for us this day. May my words be yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, on behalf of my wife, Jessica, and I, I just uh, want to thank... Uh, Thank you all at Trinity for such a great weekend of hospitality. It's an honor to be with you. It's good to be here, especially in a weekend of celebration. So much to celebrate: to your campaign, thinking about transformation and what it means to be a transforming church in the 21st century. Uh, the first service this morning, celebrating the gift of the sacrament of baptism, celebrating your graduates, to those who are affirming their faith and and coming to the end of the confirmation process itself. And I'll. Talk talk about that in a little bit. Uh, a wonderful celebration as well. And it's Pentecost weekend where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. we celebrate the birth of the church, if you will. It's a great reminder of all that we have and all that we are. In the scripture passage, the gospel lesson <clears throat> and I'm going to share a little bit from a slightly different translation this morning the, the gospel passage is a perfect fit for this weekend. It's of course chosen for Pentecost itself but it's a perfect fit for all of the celebration uh, that is a part of this weekend. And I'd encourage you, we're going to have it on the screen and certainly if you you know have a Bible with you, you know as Lutherans it's good to have our Bibles with us. Uh, even if we've got wonderful technology and some times my Bible is on technology, but it's, uh, it's good to open the scripture. You know, no matter how many times you read a particular passage, God continues to speak in different ways and in different seasons as you wrestle uh, with this text. And I want to I start right away with verse 8. And Philip asks Jesus this question. It's a season where the disciples are anxious because they know something's going on and Jesus is preparing them for whatever this next thing is. And so Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. When I think about this question, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a ridiculous question. Philip has spent all this time with Jesus in ministry and in life together. He's seen and experienced all that has happened. And so, you've got to wonder, did he miss the point? Was this Trinity thing confusing to him when we talk about the Holy Spirit later? And it's certainly sometimes confusing to us as well. What, what was he thinking? You know, what, what did he miss? I, you know, if I were Jesus, you know, in my, in my own humanity, perhaps I would, I'd be offended by this question. This, this person who's been with you and seen and experienced the miracles and all that you've had to say that you've spent this intense three years together, you wonder. And I wonder, you know, perhaps if there was a bit of a sting to his question. Perhaps a bit of hurt to his question. But you know, if I think about it carefully, I realize that Philip's question is a legitimate one. In fact, it's a sign of something good. It's a sign of something healthy and right. You see, because inside of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we always have a desire for more. There's something about us, you know, more of life, a more better experience, deeper, better relationships, a more abundance in all the things that we do and experience and are. And God has created that in us. God has created us to have that desire for more. That's who we are. And so as Jesus lives with these disciples, as Philip experiences Jesus, you have to wonder And you know what happens, at least what's happened to me, and hopefully you've had this experience in your own faith journey. When you experience more of Jesus, when your relationship with Jesus grows, when you experience transformation in Jesus, that the more you learn and experience and know Jesus, the more I find myself craving and wanting and needing. And I think maybe, perhaps in a moment of weakness or confusion as well, maybe that's what Philip was really thinking, maybe, just maybe, it was this encounter over these three years with this Jesus that left him hungry for more. And Jesus always has an uncanny way of answering questions honesty, honestly, with clarity, with, with some sense of firmness, and yet always Gracious. And so we look kind of here at verses 9, 10, and 11, and Jesus gives this long answer, and, and John has a way with words and, and can sometimes be a little wordy. And it's, when you read the passage, you know, first time I read it uh, in preparation for this weekend, I found myself tripping over some of the words. And, and, and he offers this image, this reminder that, hey, Philip, that's the point. I, Jesus... I'm here to show you the Father. I, Jesus, am here to show you who God is. I, Jesus, am here to draw you, to bring you, to point you to the Father. And that's one of the beauties of John's gospel. I love the gospel of John because it always reminds us that true and abundant life, that the more that Philip is talking about, the more that we want, that that great and abundant life is only found... In Jesus it's found in that life-giving relationship with Jesus that continues to grow that continues to transform us that all that more whether it's couched in relationships or stuff or technology or success really is all about Jesus and so Jesus of course points Philip to himself and then as Jesus always does points to the Father. And I love this. All that we crave, Jesus is saying, all that we crave, the only place that we can find that is in Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. You know, as I seek to follow Christ, e- even as a pastor, it, certainly as a husband and a father and, and a flawed human being, you know, I forget too. I'm like Philip. I'm Philip. I forget. I forget what it's all about. I forget where that more is found. You know, this is the time of year uh, we all have ways in which we draw uh, closer to Jesus. And, and this is the time of year where that perhaps is a little easier for me. It's a, 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 a season of reminder. Uh, I connect with God deeply in, in nature and in creation. And so we have to wait for what we call uh, spring part two or winter part two in Colorado uh, where, uh, you know, it's uh, not snowing, uh, you know, as it did on May 1st. That was exciting. Uh, not for my wife the gardener but uh, for, certainly for those of us that love snow. And and you know, there's, in my yard, at the back of my yard, there's this there's it's trees and you know, it's under the shade. It's very sunny in Colorado all the time. And there's a stream back there. And so when it gets to be warm, I set up my hammock. And we got to get this running joke in my house that, that, you know, the day is nice and I have some time and I'll look at my family and my son and daughter and, and my wife all know what I mean when I say this. I'm, I'm going to go be with Jesus in the yard. And so I journey back to the hammock and climb in that thing. And if, if it's not nap season, uh, you know, it is. And I, I don't know that Jesus is literally sitting in the hammock, but there's something about stopping and listening, and being. That you begin to remember and experience and see what this life in Christ is all about. Perhaps that too happened with Philip. They were so busy from town to town. All the excitement of miracles and getting tossed out of this village or that one. Or Jesus saying this thing that made the religious people mad or doing this or doing that. And he stopped. And it's when I stop and in my case, in my hammock, that I'm reminded of who this Christ is, that I have this opportunity to connect with this Jesus once again. And maybe it's silly, but you know, I think there's something beautiful about stopping and really remembering where the more is found. I want to focus, you know, mostly on verse 12, finding, you know, the scripture continues to speak and there's this gem of a verse there. So if you could put just verse, perfect, verse 12 up. And, and I want, it starts out very simple, okay? Very truly I tell you. Now this is important. This, when Jesus says this, this is basically the point in the sermon, I mean the scripture, where you should be awake and paying attention. Because something important is about to happen, And so the disciples, they, you know, were good Christian followers, and so occasionally they had, you know, napping problems during Jesus' sermon too. And so he, you know, he'd use this phrase to say, wait a minute, this is really important. If you're going to catch anything, catch this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, let me stop right there. The word belief is a a tricky word And, and here in the original language and throughout most of the New Testament, it's actually the same word and it literally means to trust. That belief, that faith, it's all about trusting. Trust as human beings, is our one great act. God does the rest. God adopts us. God chooses us. God gives us unconditional love and grace and forgiveness. God saves us. God brings us life, abundance. God makes us new. God transforms us. Our one great and brave act is to trust. To trust in that unconditional love of Jesus Christ. To trust God with our marriage, with our relationships, for our graduates, with your future, for our careers, for that conflict that we're experiencing. To trust Jesus in each of these places. That the growth of a disciple, whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, is all about growing in trust. One of my literary mentors and heroes of the faith is a guy named Brennan Manning, and you, you can throw that quote up here in a minute, I'll read that. And, you know, he spoke of trust in ways that I couldn't imagine. He passed away just last month, and it was a, you know, a, a great loss for the church. And he wrote a book called Ruthless Trust. And, and he has this great quote. Now, my wife's an English teacher, and so she has to remind me this is terrible sentence structure. I barely speak English, so I didn't notice. But uh, so, I, you know, I want you to hear, you know, look and hear. Is, I try and read this in a way that makes sense, uh, because this is just a phenomenal, a phenomenal message on this idea, this concept of trust. The splendor of a human heart that trusts it is loved unconditionally gives God more pleasure than than Westminster Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's Sunflowers, the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight, or the scent of a million orchids in bloom. I'll catch this part. Trust is our gift back to God. And he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for love of it. If we could go back to verse 12, please. That that's our great act. That's our one response. That's our thing is to trust Jesus, in this passage, in this moment with Philip, who asks what could have been a very hurtful question, invites Philip to trust him. Jesus is inviting us to trust him. That's the essence of belief. That's the essence of faith. And Jesus goes on. And says, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In this passage, Jesus is speaking entirely in the future tense. He's preparing the disciples for his departure. He had to constantly prepare the disciples. They had this intimate relationship. It's a beautiful thing, but it must have certainly been hard. And he was preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He was preparing them for the ministry that would exist after he was gone. He was preparing them for the church, the future that would be. He's speaking to them. He's speaking to those before us. He's speaking to us in the church here and now. And Jesus is speaking to the church that will exist long after we are all gone. And Jesus is offering here a bit of a commission, a bit of an idea, an image of what the church of Jesus Christ is to be, what we as Christ followers, who more importantly, we as Christ followers are to be. And so Jesus speaks into the future and tells them and reminds them of this transforming power of a relationship with Jesus Christ. He points them to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the thing that Jesus spoke about the most. And that we as the church, we as followers of Christ are supposed to be a part of bringing about God's kingdom in the world. We are agents, representatives of God's kingdom. So Jesus is setting up the church. He's saying to Philip, look to me and be transformed and go and transform others. You see, that's what Jesus wants for disciples, for followers of Christ. Transformation of our lives. That then leads to transformation of our families. Transformation of our neighborhoods, our city, our church in the world. That's what the church is about. That's what Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming, is for. Not for our own comfort. You see, following Jesus is not a spectator sport. It's not for our own comfort, for our own just religious participation. It's so that we might be changed, so that we can go and change those around us. In this word greater, it's almost deceiving. I think it's a little weak because what it literally means here when Jesus says it, it says it means literally exceedingly great and mighty things. And so for Jesus to say to Philip and these disciples who've spent three years watching him heal the blind and cast out demons and say these challenging things, he's saying But wait, there's more. You know that more, Philip, you're asking for? It's coming. And you and us, all of us, and those after us are going to do greater things. Can you imagine exceedingly great and mighty things that that's what Jesus says to the disciples in this moment? Can you imagine after all they've seen and experienced And you know what? That's the message to Philip, and that's the message to us. That somehow Jesus answers our prayers, and a lot of times in ways that we wouldn't expect. And I I have experienced that from time to time. It's not, you know, I pray for one thing, I pray for more, and I experience more, perhaps, in a way that I wouldn't have hoped or I wouldn't have expected. But it's always about my transformation. It's always about the transformation of others. And that's the big and beautiful thing about the gospel. Not always easy. And so Philip, I think, starts to regret the question a little bit. Because Jesus says, oh no. Just you wait. The enough that you want, Philip, it's coming. And it's coming through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that in a moment. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you, the church of Jesus Christ, are going to do exceedingly great and mighty things. And so it's amazing what happens when Jesus gives an answer to our question, to Philip's question. I'm sure it's not what Philip expected. I know when I said yes to Jesus, it's not what I expected. But Jesus has more for us. Exceedingly great and mighty things that are not just for us, but for the world. And that more is beautiful. To those of you that are affirming your faith today, this moment of confirmation you've persevered through perhaps good and bad, joyful and painful and you know the problem with confirmation in this moment is even though it's a great celebration a lot of times we see it as a graduation, I'm here to tell you that that's inaccurate. We see it as an end because, you know, maybe you don't have to go to confirmation class and maybe you don't have as much memory work. And, you know, I've yet to meet that confirmation youth who's going to miss memory work. And, and, and so it feels like an end. But I want you to understand that as you stand up before this congregation today and take ownership of your faith, it's really a beginning. And that's great. The more for you is coming still, it's a beginning. It's not an end. Yes, you're done with that part of the work. And maybe that's an answer to your prayer. (laughs) But in that answer to your prayer, God has something greater in store for you than you or your parents or those that have invested in you could ever imagine. Exceedingly great and mighty things. And so life for you all, abundant life for you as for all of us, is going to be found in your decision each day each month to trust Jesus more and more and to watch and see the exceedingly great and mighty things that God can do in your life and can do through your life in the lives of others so in congratulations to reaching this moment, if you choose to continue to pursue Jesus with vigor. The fun and the adventure is just beginning. And that's why I love this moment of affirmation of baptism. And that's why I love this moment of confirmation. And so my prayer and hope for you and for anyone in your situation is that, that what you, that's what you would experience. Exceedingly great and mighty things because of Jesus. And so the passage continues, and the the rest of the passage, you know, from verse 13, you know, on, is really more of a reminder. Uh, Jesus is reminding Philip and the disciples that God is with them, that it's not our own work, it's not just your own work, your own work, it's not about what Pastor Marcus says or does, it's the Holy Spirit working through me, working in me, working around me, working because of me, and even sometimes in spite of me. And so Jesus sets this reminder. He prepares them for Pentecost. And in verse verse 16, this word advocate, that is the Holy Spirit. That as Jesus leaves, he sends this advocate, the Holy Spirit, who is always with us, walking with us. And it's because of the Holy Spirit, not because of our own strength or power, except for that trust thing I've been talking about that God begins to do exceedingly great and mighty things in our life, transforms us so that our families are transformed, so that our neighborhoods are transformed, so that the church is transformed, and so ultimately that the world is transformed. I have this uh, verse that's kind of become a theme life verse of, for me when I started college. In my freshman year, you know, you go early and they and you had this theme verse. And it was a verse I'd never, a book in the Bible I'd never heard of. And, and I was like, man, that's incredible. And, and I've hung on to it ever since. It's, it, it, people say it different ways, but it's the book of Habakkuk. It's a little minor prophet nestled in the Old Testament, the back of the Old Testament. And it's a guy who's basically, it's, the whole book is him and God arguing. Because God is not answering his prayers in the way that he expected. I can relate maybe you can relate too and so he's arguing with God about it in fact on my way here I stuck my Bible in my backpack and you you cram everything in your backpack and I forgot about it and you know Friday I went to pull it out of my bag and it was all bent and like mangled a little bit and the pages were folded and you know I've got just enough you know just a little bit of OCD in me so I was you know getting a little worked up and upset about it and and uh and so I grabbed it you know to to just fix it and and there it was it was bent right at Habakkuk I was like, all right, I get it. And this is what it says in Habakkuk 1, chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be prepared to be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. That's what God has for us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to create in our life. That's the life post-confirmation. That's the life of the church amazing things, that if God himself came and told us what those amazing things would be, we would not even believe it. Philip can perhaps relate to that. See, that's what Pentecost is all about, the coming of the Holy Spirit for our continued transformation, for us, for our families, for the church, and for the world. Philip was asking for more, I believe. He says it. And if we're honest with ourselves we want more as well. We desire more. And it may be masked in a lot of things, but that's how God's created us, to crave and desire more. And the closer that we get to Jesus, the more we get and the more that we want. And that is the glorious message of the gospel. More life. More abundance, greater relationship, more transformation, not just for us, but for the whole world. And so thank you, God, for Pentecost, where you came so that we could have more once again. And you remind us every year of what we are called to, the abundant, transforming life of following Jesus that changes us as we change the world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this message for Philip and perhaps his innocence or bravery or confusion that led to this question that really strikes to the heart of who we are and what we're about. Lord, help us to have the courage to trust you in all things, to seek the more that you have for us, to seek the transforming life of following Jesus so that we can be the people you have created us to be, so that we can be the church in the community in the world that you created out of love so that Jesus, your kingdom, may continue to come. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.